I'm Charles. And today we're here with our fabulous, fabulous friends, Stacy and Sai. Hi, everyone. Hey, everyone. Happy Easter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today we are going to give you all the tea on our um, co-ops. So if anyone doesn't know, part of our program um, for biomedical engineering, you have to go on internship or co-op, which is just short for cooperative education, which means you've got to do research or work for a company for a little while, get some really um, hands-on experience. So we decided to tell you a little bit about all of that and our experiences. Yeah. So Sai, you want to go for it? Oh, yep. So I worked in this place called BioStage. It's a really small startup biotech company. So during my co-op, uh, the, the company is working on uh, esophageal implants, so pretty much for babies who are born with esophageal atresia but they don't have an esophagus there's like a gap from lungs to like their mouth so there's like that gap it's just open it's just open it's just like a natural cause like you're, oh it's just you're genetically like you're just born with. there's no underlying oh, wow. it's like I have no idea. you being born with no arm or some it's mostly genetics but uh there's no uh, particular reason that disease is caused so the current treatments include using a pipe and being on life support for the rest of their lives and oh, there's also wow. this other treatment if the gap is small enough they take their large intestine and use it as a graph between the uh, you pretty much use to like so they the shorten the, the the large intestine they cut it and yep they get a segment on that and then they put it like as a Graft yeah, attached yeah, to the, the top and the bottom. Yeah, that's simple. That is insane. It is insane. No thing is, uh, thing with that is like there's a lot of leakages and it's like large intestines not really like the most. It doesn't necessarily grow as the baby grows, so there's right. often some yeah. tears. Yeah. Often some tears, and it's not vascularized or anything like or not. That was my as, question. So how is so it sealed? sealed? Grow? Yeah, that's a good question. Hmm? How is it sealed? How is it sealed? Just like stitches. That's, so the, that's for the graft? Or that's for, for the, the graft. Okay. So event, it does not grow and eventually like... Do they have yeah. to get another one? Like, what yeah, they do, they'd they'd have, have to like keep... It, yeah, they have to keep... It's not like... So that, it's just like it's a temporary fix. It's not like uh, a permanent okay. thing. So usually babe, these babies or children didn't, do not tend to like survive for that long. Uh, so so you can't really... So are you guys trying to grow like an esophagus ex vivo? Or? Yeah, uh, ex vivo. So we're trying to grow uh, esophagus ex vivo. <laughs> so the way it works is um, we make graphs using electro uh, spinning. It's, they have this certain uh, treatment that I can't talk about that makes like a hydrophobic polyurethane to hydrophilic so that, so that if you seed cells, the cells get attached mm. through it and flow through I it. I may know what that treatment is. We use that. <laughs> What is it? What would you guys? Do? I mean, no, it's um, it's. I, mean, so I, I honestly, I honestly don't remember the name of the chemical, but like right. we, it was. Oh, it was like bind silane or something like. Oh, that. Oh no, it's That's something. Not, it's something different. Oh, okay. But um, I think these these kind of procedures have, are being used like widely in you know, like, like turning something from hydrophobic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just uh, it's mainly because um the research. I mean, there's so many other biomaterials that are available that you could mm -hmm. do research on, but it's really expensive and tedious for to to get that biomaterial to be mm -hmm. approved for the treatment. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just easier to use like existing uh, material like polyurethane, which is approved and used in many mm -hmm. medical devices. So it's just easier for you to use, and you don't have to go through the process, and you, you just have to get the treatment approved by the FDA, which is relatively simple. How is it different from cutting a segment of your large intestine and putting it in? Would this like grow as it grows or like adapt? You know how you, you're talking about right. seed, like 
putting stitches right. in the interface between right. like you know the yeah uh, is the attachment the testing. same would, uh, it, would the would the cells eventually merge with I mean, the rest of the. Um, I assume that's the goal. That's. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's not our treatment. That's mm-hmm. what's happening right now. That's like the initial. Uh, like that's the, the, those. See. Those other treatment that's happening. It's not viable. That's mm-hmm. why we're trying to use stem cells and t- tissue and, and material engineering to oh. create like a new organ, pretty much. So those are the existing mm-hmm. treatments. That what we're working on is a new treatment that could replace that. So you're hoping to have an organ, quote unquote, right. that readjusts to the conditions of the human meaning like grows as it grows like it's, like, it's like having a new organ oh wow much. that's in, that's interesting so like what we do is like once the uh once the uh what do you call the scaffold right once it's hydrophobic we just uh we just leave it in there we take care of uh, now we get to the cell part where we extract the stem cells from the abdomens of babies we just need like a two or three gram sample from the babies i mean which is really hard to get because the babies who are born with this disease are tend to be really small that's not the only abnormal abnormality oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. they tend to be premature usually and then they just they were just born with like smaller weight and they usually don't have that much fat on them oh, that, i mean they might get bigger but you might want you really want to get the stem cells or the fat cells right when they're born just so that it's you get more stem cells out of it. Mm-hmm. So what we do is like we take the fat and extract the stem cells, like using uh, probably some techniques that we learned in our cell cell class, where mm-hmm. we got stems uh, primary cells from chick embryos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a similar process to that, yeah. and then we grow, we expand the cells, right, mm-hmm. in like these like really big flasks, and like we get yeah. it to a certain quantity. Proliferate. Proliferate exactly, and then you just keep scaling up. You're just scaling up. Like once they're frozen, you got to do it until you have like certain cell dosage. We're still working on the cell dosage because mm-hmm. it's really important for the FDA to know how many cells we're seeding and what we're getting. You can't just like seed random amount of cells. So are you are you trying different amounts or? Oh, we are trying different trying amounts. See what works best. See works. So you what can works have like a standard. Right. Exactly. But we're not using uh, human cells just because uh, during, uh, our lab's not approved for that. It's not. Mm-hmm. So we're just so using porcine. Stages. We're still in the preliminary stages, and mm. the human trial part is taking at UConn, but it's mostly you working with their cells, not necessarily implanting the implant in the and the babies mm-hmm. so we're still in animal trials so yeah. we're just pretty much doing the same procedure on animals but the pigs aren't born with the nutrition we make the we cut the we take the esophagus out and mm-hmm. we do it so once the cells are grown right going back to the procedure once the cells are grown we seed it onto these like bioreactors and we let them grow we just like let them grow in the bioreactor to just like spin around and we seed them and um after like a week or so in a yeah. bioreactor. <laughs> <laughs> all of our classes come together. <laughs> and once, uh, once it's uh, viable, our percent makes the animal or the human, it's prepared for surgery. We put, we implant it in the baby. And uh, after like a couple of weeks, you start seeing like a thin layer of esophagus being formed. And um, so you just implant the cells, in the the, just like whole scaffold. Just with the, the scaffold with the cells. With the cells, and yep, it's like a sponge. Imagine a sponge, yeah, bro. Yeah, like yeah. it just cells just grow between those mm-hmm. crevices, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like form like a weird. You don't really see the layer once during those seven weeks, mm-hmm. just because it's not. You're not. They're not in contact with the micro environment that the human body provides. It's still ex vivo mm-hmm. or in vitro. I would, I, well, yeah. ex, well, ex vivo te- is technically mm-hmm. in vitro, in but vitro. on the 
it's like just generalized, like outside of the body, right. regardless of no, tube, no flasks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it could just be. Something. So they're pretty much like pure stem cells. They're just like growing and creating ECM, just to like create like a proper structure and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But once you place it in the human, uh, in the body, right, mm-hmm. pigs or human babies, it provides this, uh, uh, like the cytokines and all the growth factors, like uh, help the in the esophagus, help the cells to differentiate into like the smooth muscle that the esophagus has mm-hmm. and also uh, overall like during like during um over during the whole month mm-hmm. uh like the layer turns into like a fully structured esophagus mm-hmm. and um it's currently working in pigs like uh you could clearly see the development of the esophagus what we do is uh we do um flora fluoroscopy every every week mm-hmm. or so just to see the development of it see if the see if the stents like growing up properly like the, the esophagus is growing up proper growing properly or not and also to clear up any like when you're when pigs eat they tend to like get clogged in there so mm-hmm. they clean up like the pipes yeah. Very much. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. So for these animal trials, right. you essentially take a segment out of their esophagus right. to replicate the condition that right. the uh, kids like you, have, right? right? And then you replace that with a scaffold filled with cells that would eventually differentiate into smooth muscle right. and replace that missing segment, right? Exactly. How have what are the results like in terms of function functionality of the new esophagus? Like, ha- have you guys experienced any differences in the way um, this new native uh, tissue to uh, yeah the this na- new the thing performs? Are there any limitations? And also, like, have you guys noticed any like effects in like the immunology aspect of it? Oh, um, so come. Yeah. So going talking about the immunology aspect of it. So sure, we uh, we check the physical aspect, see if the cells are growing properly and mm-hmm. so what we also do is every two days we get uh, we get their blood samples every two days or four days depending on the schedule but um when the guy's available we get the blood samples and we also tr- uh study f- during using elisa or certain tests we mm-hmm. test the cytokines in the blood like uh to so what cytokines we test are blood um wound healing factors ila or il6 pgdf like one of those i don't know what they correspond with we're also so you know like when we could, we could clearly see in like the levels of uh, cytokines when the pig's like normal all the cytokine levels are low but once a pig gets a surgery and there's usually some sort of infection involved like outside the skin or whatnot yeah. so you get these uh infection cytokines that indicate infection a lot and also wound healing they go up after a few weeks once the regenerate uh, regenerate like smooth muscles form we also look for angiogenesis because we want the organ to be growing and like so we need blood yeah, to like vascular regeneration of the scalpel, right? Look mm-hmm. at that. Shout out to Tess, too. <laughs> <laughs> All the immune, this immune is system. We need vascularization of the scalp, like the esophagus, right? That's what we essentially mm-hmm. study for. And then, yeah, that's what we're currently studying during the whole process. But, uh, I'm going back to your question of see if it's, if this thing's working or not, but uh, I mean, we can't like hold the animals for that long, meaning like it's really expensive yeah. for the company. So 
we haven't done like the long trial tests yet. Like, like right now, you're more in a proof of concept. Can we actually get it to work for the short term? And yeah. right, I mean, it's it is working yeah. short term, like mm -hmm. with the help of uh some sort of stents that we get, like mm -hmm. esophageal stents. It just holds it in place. It's still not. It's like when you're. Uh, hands fractured right you need some sort of support for a while mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it's the same it's a, it's a new organ so you, yeah i'm sure a lot to, uh a lot more supports required so they put uh um, stents in and um we have in the pigs we observed that pigs were able to eat on their own without any like liquid food they could eat solid food after like a after like a month or so they just like chew and do their normal thing but um after that we just like euthanize the pigs just to study like the what do you call it? The muscle, like the soft, newly mm -hmm. formed esophagus. So we're just uh, performing material, te uh, mechanical testing on like the native tissue that they just got before the surgery, and also like the new, new, newly formed esophagus. And we're also doing uh, some histological testing just to like observe like the fat layers or like the different type of muscles that the the newly formed esophagus has, and compare it to compare it to the past one yeah so we're still in like those like optimizing like what works best but it, we know it's working but yeah. we just gotta like fine-tune it and make sure it's uh it's uh, make sure it's all ready for the fda approval we're in talks with the fda we're going back and forth because this technology never existed before it's still a novel technology and there are no sets of standards that that are in place like for pharmaceutical industry right there are all these like a uh, set of bioequivalences that we have like to like check for a certain amount of things in our blood but for this one you don't really know it's I still think you have to kind of come up with your own guidelines exactly so that acceptable that's how a lot of biomedical engineering is you have <laughs> right. to come yeah. up with your own yeah. standards because yeah. a lot of the times you find solutions to things that you didn't even think were problems because exactly. they're yeah. such small like numbers so right. considering that this doesn't happen to probably one in like hundreds of thousands or whatever okay. based on the stats like yeah, I think whoever gets to that. focus on it the fda has to probably come up with ways right. of, of assessing it in like a uh in their point of view but i mean they haven't you know they right. haven't really accomplished it so right. it's kind of it's going to take some time but right um, that's really interesting so the whole product is under orphan drug uh, it's going so like you have these like regular pathways for fda approval mm -hmm. but this one's on like the orphan drug approval like because it's a combination device where it uses material science and also cell cell therapy so it's uh and it's like uh, the it's less than 100,000 people get this disease every year but it's more prevalent in china just uh, just because less than 100,000 people get uh get the disease or have the uh, children have the disease uh it's put in this particular category that expedites the whole approval process mm. and also but also means that you got to be careful once you once you once you're in there cuz like the all the standards are being played around with. It's not yeah, set. Yeah, right. Set. They're not standards. So it's, I, I think uh, they're currently in IND state. I think they're going to uh, apply for IND just so that they get an approval from the FDA by end of this year. And What's the IND? Investigational new drug application. Oh, okay. So oh, once nice. they hit that, they'll, they'll be through the process and hopefully get the, the, the device gets approved. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So that's pretty much what I did. Very cool. You put me yeah. on? Hmm? You put me on with them? <laughs> no, I already asked him. <laughs> They're hiring someone full-time, you said, right? Oh, yeah, but I just saw a post for an internship for summer and fall. Wow, uh, so you could have hooked me up. 
it's all right. Summer and fall, though. The thing is, oh, they, yeah, want you, they want you the whole time, you know. Yeah. They train some you. The, mm-hmm. Some of the kids from the, the grade under us. No, yeah. They need a summer and fall. Right. I think I uh, Kevin Kevin asked me if I forward my resume, but but it's actually a great opportunity compared to, like... Yeah, it sounds great. Because like, uh, it's, like, it's just a really small company, and I got to go to, like, every single meeting. Like, the, all the research meeting with yeah, UT. yeah. And they're all, like, really big professors. I mean, I didn't really do any of, like, I didn't present anything. I was just there listening to what they were talking about. And it was really interesting to know, like, the pure R&D side of the product. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at, at a bigger company, you might be in R&D, but you don't get to see the starting stages of it. Yeah. Right? Uh, here, I got to see the starting stages of how we were, like, struggling for money and designing our whole research on, like, to accommodate with how much grant we got from the NIH. So it was really cool to see all that. I really enjoyed it. The pay my pay and everything wasn't that great, but still, overall, the experience was nice. <laughs> <laughs> the pay wasn't that great. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. Oh. That's good. All right. Stacy, you want to tell us what you did? totally different, but <laughs> this, is, this is very interesting, and I think it's really nice to see how it ties up to most of our classes. Um, my experience was in a medical implant devi- device company, um, it's called Abiomed, if any of you guys have heard of it, apply, it's, it's a really good, great place to work. Um, but Abiomed is headquartered here in Danvers, Massachusetts, actually. Uh, that's the, the one company we have in the entire country, and then we have a few companies uh, in Germany, Japan, now we open one, one India, which is opening, so it's, it's, it's inc- the size of it is increasing, it's getting very popular, um, and it's, you know, they're at their prime. There's a lot a lot of really cool stuff going on. So um, what Abiumet does, it's, it creates one kind of device with many different variations. Um, they are called impella pumps, and they, it's a blood pump that is essentially meant to provide hemodynamic support to the patient's heart. So if you guys don't know what hemodynamic mm. is, it's just basically, hemodynamics. The, yeah, the, <laughs> you know, provide support for like blood flow um, from the heart into like the tissues and the other sections of the body. Um, so um, this specific pump, it's been um, increasingly used in patients with severe heart failure, cardiogenic shock and high risk percutaneous intervention. For the first two, um, I mean, we're pretty much familiar with what heart failure or cardiogenic shock, shock is, but for uh, the latter, which is short for, uh, which could be abbreviated as PCI, um, is basically a non-surgical procedure that uses a catheter, which is a thin flexible tube, to place a small structure structure called a stent to open up blood vessels in the heart that has been narrowed by plaque buildup as a condition known as atherosclerosis. And atherosclerosis is just damage to the endothelium. In class, we learned that the endothelium is the tissue which forms a single layer of cells lining various organs and cavities in the body. So essentially this pump could be inserted either through the femoral artery, which is the artery right down by your crutch, or the axillary artery, which is the artery right behind your clavicle. And what it does, it's a minimally invasive pump. Uh, you poke a hole in this. This is 
is not confidential. Everyone knows this. <laughs> uh, you poke a hole in uh, either of the arteries, depending on the application or the severity or, you know, the guidelines of um, which one to use and where to use it. Um, and then you literally just advance that cath. It looks like a catheter, just a tube. It's the smallest pump in the world, which is the coolest thing ever. And that pump goes through your artery. Um, all the way up, they advance it uh, through your left ventricle all the way to the end. And what it does is just has the mechanical properties uh, to suck blood out of the left ventricle and release it to the rest of the body. So that essentially helps you um, with PCI, which as we mentioned was basically the clogging of your blood vessels, could be by cholesterol or other things that, um, that uh, may have affect that disease. Um, and essentially you leave it there for uh, a few hours. Uh, for now, it has been FDA approved for uh, up to maybe six to eight hours and it varies depending on the pump that you're using. Um, and essentially you leave it there until, it, you leave it there, it does the, the, the job that your heart is supposed to do. And when your heart is good enough to do it by itself, you can explant the pump and then your your heart is going to continue working. The one highlight about this pump is that it's not only the smallest pump in the world, but it's the only uh, treatment that allows your heart to recover itself rather than um, just comes in, does the job and gets it done and um, pulls out. So um, essentially that is, uh, I would say a really interesting technology and I think it could really advance the field of heart recovery, considering that you're not, you know, you're not putting a, how do you call these? The uh, pacemaker in the heart, you're not having something that, you know, it, it, it's mechanical and your heart or your life depends on it functioning. You're just implanting something, does the work and um, comes out. So it's really interesting. And then in terms of, I don't really have that much cool stuff about uh, it being like, you know, the immunology aspect of it and stuff, considering that it's, it's a very quick um, uh, point of care device, if you will. Um, but you definitely want to make sure that the device is sterile before going into the body. Um, you also want to make sure that uh, the mechanical design is basically set so that it minimizes or prevents hemolysis, which is the lysis of blood. Um, this is one of the as a test engineer, we performed many tests ranging from durability to tensile to electrical to um, hemolysis to flow characterization. So you essentially run all these tests to ensure that um, the pump is able to pass FDA approval. The pump is able to function properly inside the body um, without harming or making the job worse once explanted. Um, and also making sure that um, those patients that have little to no ch chance of living have um, chance of surviving with the pump. So um, it's extremely exciting. Every single week we heard about many stories of people that uh, were benefited. Um, and I think it really makes a difference hearing those stories because it makes yeah. you feel like what you're doing is um, for a purpose. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, that's that's all we did. Cool. Really Apply to Abby Med, everybody. <laughs> Um, okay, so over the summer and fall, I worked for Orthoclinical Diagnostics here in Rochester, um, and they're an in vitro diagnostics company. Um, 
So basically, uh, I worked in assay manufacturing, so um, over there what they do is um, a lot of testing on the analyzers to make sure that um, like standards and calibrations are um, like set and making sure that all of the like math and programming that goes out with each set of slides or fluid um, is like correct, I guess, because there are different like sets depending on how it's made um, that you have to make sure everything matches when you send it to the hospital and then they have to recalibrate and stuff like that. Um, so basically, um, the company just distributes the blood analyzers to um, hospitals, use them mostly, especially for blood transfusions to make sure that um, the donor's blood matches with the patient's blood. Um, they also look for any um, kind of diseases like Hep B. Um, there was some testing there that in the couple labs I was in that they were actually making sure that the standards for that was um, were uh, matched what they had. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so <laughs> mm -hmm. I worked in, um, like I said, I worked in assay manufacturing, but really what I did mostly was um, try to reduce variability and bias within the analyzers. So that included a lot of like running the analyzers and like changing a lot of variables in the testing, mm -hmm. which was kind of fun because it felt very it almost felt not scientific some of the stuff we were doing because we were just kind of like yeah let's run this with like the top open or let's pull something <laughs> out and run what we were doing was um so once you test it you end up getting this like this number back the signal um and there were just certain from like different versions of the analyzer it would be different even if it were like the same test but the difference was not it's a very, very tiny difference. Like it's less than 0.01%. Like what we're, we were going after was just so tiny, but it was also so important because it stayed throughout years and years of different versions and families of the analyzer. So it's something that we want to figure out. Mm -hmm. So um, we looked into lots of different things, temperature, airflow, um, a lot of those things we're still pursuing. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of testing between the different families. Um, and we also worked a little bit with the different chemistries, so we actually got to see how some of the micro slides um, that are put on the analyzer and used to test the blood or the serum or anything, because um, they, they can test like plasma, urine, or cerebrospinal fluid. Mm -hmm. um, so we worked with those chemistries that would create the slides. Um, so we actually got to see the coding machine, which was really, really cool. cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, yeah, so there, there's like not a ton I can say, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, did you have to do like a lot of statistical testing to like we, yeah, so like every time tests and stuff to like kind of yeah. So we would run something pretty much the typical day was coming in early to pull out fluid from the freezer, make sure the fluid is good, pull out the slides from the freezer, make sure everything like thaws and is mixed well. Then we run on the analyzer. Usually while it's running, we'll be doing the data from the previous day, from the previous run. Um, I mean, it, it depended on how we wanted to look at it. Sometimes we just look at the average. Sometimes we would want to see like an actual pattern that the numbers would give us. Other times we want to work just with the values. Um, but yeah, we did a lot of mini tab analysis, a lot of work in Excel. Um, yeah, so definitely learn mini tab. Pay attention to stats. Use mini tab, Charles. I had to Try use a lot of Minitab for my tests. Yeah. So, <laughs> when yeah. I went back, they were like, oh, do me a pair of T tests. And I was like, I wish I had paid attention to <laughs> serious lecture. But it was good. Um, 
But yeah, it was a really good experience. There were a lot of times where they would run experiments like on the coding machine, mm -hmm. which was super exciting because it's they're not like small scale experiments. Like the coding machine is is ginormous. Like I can't I can't explain the scale very well. <laughs> like it, it was like two long, very long rooms, and it, I I like wish I had a number. Charles spread out. No, it's more than Charles. Charles, I'll tell you. Yeah, that's six, four and a half. Maybe like I think five. Charles's was one section, and then you moved into the second section. It was still a part of the machine. Yeah, yeah so it was crazy. Um, but it was cool doing the experiments because you could like see. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Could you that, run like one thing, like many things at once, or is it this long thing? Just no, it's a really long thing, and you thing. have to move everything at once because there were like different sections, oh, like driver yeah. sections, and and different layers that had to gotcha. go on. Um, and t they had to make sure like everything was even because once you put the sample on, you want like that reaction to happen to tell you whether it's a positive or a mm -hmm. negative. Um, yeah, but I feel like my biggest takeaway from that was like how much we don't know just in general about everything because I feel like. Like it wasn't, you know, like in class, like you do a problem and there's always an answer, mm -hmm. but we were just testing stuff and we were like, I have no idea what to do with this. <laughs> and like, we've got to keep moving and we've got to keep learning more. And it, it was just like really exciting because I feel like it added a little bit more of like the curiosity and excitement mm -hmm. to science. That I you, think like, it puts you in there, like you put yeah. in your creativity and you're like, I have no idea where I'm going, but what if I try this, this and that? So like, yes. there's more reward in your work because you know that whatever it is that you conclude from your study, it's like based on your hypothesis that you yes. do. Yeah, yeah. And that was what was so exciting. Was like so I worked like, with, some um, yes, like I worked in a team, so it was um, myself. Um, and then another student from RAC, Melissa, shout out, I love you. Um, <laughs> and it was her and I um, working on this, and our boss, Jim, who's super great. Um, shout out. And shout out, yeah, shout out, Jim. <laughs> um, but I think what was really fun was, like, we both had, like, really great ideas that we ended up actually using and, like, testing and presenting to other people in our meetings. So it was just nice to see that, like, we were part of the company and, like, we were making moves. Um, so, yeah, that was... It was really good. I loved, I loved being there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Did you hear about this company called Terranos? No, I'm not. So it's apparently it's a blood testing company that was created by Elizabeth Holmes. She's a Stanford graduate, but uh, it was all a scheme. She had, uh, she said that, um, yeah, she said uh, she could detect like HIV and all sorts of diseases just from a single drop of blood, or like a really small amount of quantity, mm -hmm. and. Um, like apparently, like a couple of years later, it was all uh, found out to be a big, big sham. Like it's the technology is not even working. What? I'm sure there's some truth to it. Was she like marketed and sold. Yeah, she was. She was like marketing, and it's it was it was a, a small startup, and they got serious funding from big companies. I think I saw that. Um, oh, and then man. apparently it was all a flaw. I think she has like two documentaries about that. On, uh, wow. on uh, Netflix yeah. and Hulu, no. so you should check it. Out. I mean, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't legit, watch it yet. Guys, Ortho <laughs> is legit. Yeah, it just, it just reminded me of that. Oh no, yeah, that's crazy. Team. It's a good how. Uh, you guys should check it. Out. Yeah, I will. Yeah, definitely. Charles, it's you now. Oh, it's your turn. It's my turn. Yeah. Right. Right. Spill the cars. tea. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know the real things that happen at RIT Laboratories. Um. So. That sounds like about a bathroom. That's not the real thing So uh, this summer and fall, I worked at the Microsystems Laboratory at RIT under our professor, Dr. Abiyankar. Shout out! Shout out! 
Um, I did a whole bunch of stuff. Like it's hard to even talk about, but um, basically the main goal of the lab right now is to align collagen, which is the first step uh, towards recreating the cornea outside of the body. Um, collagen is the most prevalent protein inside the body and in the cornea specifically and in a lot of places but in the cornea specifically it aligns it aligns itself orthogonally which just means perpendicular perpendicular strands um, layers over layers over layers eventually make up the, the cornea so that's so what the cornea is made out of collagen uh, if I'm not mistaken, yes. <laughs> I hope so. But um, yeah, cornea is made out of collagen, so that's what we're trying to do. Um, we're not nearly as far as like size in terms of like actually having something where we can even implant an animal, because the very first step is just aligning the collagen, which tons of labs are trying to do. And so align just like you aligning them orthogonally as to create the overlapping tissues that would eventually create the cornea? Correct, correct. Mm -hmm. So um, at first we started out with trying to extrude, mix the collagen with dextrosolute. Yeah. I'll just be very general. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, well some of this stuff is being done um, like Obviously, and with any research, you start by looking up papers to see what other people have done and then trying to recreate it with what you have. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure we got this from somebody else. Yeah, we did. So, we mixed the collagen with dextrose and then extrude it um, using a servo. And then, what is a, servo? a servo is just um, a mechanical thing you program to do a repeated um, extrusion. Yeah, repeated extrusion. It's just like, yeah. So yeah. what happens when you extrude it? Does it work? <laughs> He's <laughs> opening and closing his hands. It's just a back and forth motion. Yeah. What does it cause after you extrude it? Like okay, so it's like, so it's like, like a hit or miss so, alignment. So so when you mix it with the dextrose, then it becomes like this goo that when you extrude it, it becomes like strands, right? And then oh. when they're strands, then there's like a spatula that goes up and catches it and comes back down. And then we just keep doing that until you get like a mat. Sort of like electrospinning okay. in a way. Yeah, oh. kind of like electrospinning. Yeah, that's actually that's, that's how really, we make really close to electrospinning. And um, so once we had a mat, we would um, try to put it on a hydrogel mm -hmm. using a chemical crosslinker called sulfa sampa. Um, I used to know the chemistry behind it, but I forgot. Um, <laughs> It just has something to do with bonds and some stuff. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, and so it was kind of like the glue between the collagen and the hydrogel. And so that's what we were doing for a while. And then after that, we would stain it and then image it and then see um, if there was any alignment. But it got to a point where we were just looking for like retention at that point because it wasn't even sticking that well. And like um. we, we tried a lot of different processes and then we eventually just scratched, scratched that. And then we... Um, started with magnetic combing, which is what we call it. Um, something else a lot of people are doing. Um, basically, you just infuse the collagen with magnetic particles and then um, put it near a magnet. So and they then align, align with the magnetic field. Oh. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's the part that we got from papers. Um, Did it work? Uh, it's... It's it, it, yeah, it it's definitely working. works a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's a work in progress, but we're trying to like study the physics, physics behind it so it can be reproducible because we it's like we we can get alignment but like we don't know exactly how we got it's it. It's not like uh like oh we're lucky we got it today. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like we have to be able to say okay, this alignment is a is a direct or result of this this process yeah. which is based on this math and then it just becomes very convoluted and that's that's where I left off at. Um <laughs> <laughs> over the course over the course of the summer slash semester I had tons of side projects. Um actually created uh, a lab a lab that will take in the fall yeah one of the one of the sections i i wrote and designed that lab um just to display diffusion um so is that something we're going to be working man. on is that so something you have the answers to what you're saying yeah basically i have the answers <laughs> no don't give them too, 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 too many ideas they're going to yeah, come yeah, up yeah. to you and ask you yeah. so it's our dynamics lab next semester um i don't know I don't know what lab Maybe it is, to might be, be an elective. Cuz it's a, it was a lab that multiple professors taught. It was like Ambiakar had a section and then Lente had a section and then I so I um, went through it. Uh, well, it's for fourth years, so. Oh, so we'll, you will go be going through your own lab? Yeah, yeah. If if they decide to keep it, wow. um, which I think they will keep some version of it because the fusion. They did pay me. <laughs> <laughs> they did pay me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, basically, and through that throughout that process, I um got experience learning how to use a laser cutter, um, and then I made like the devices that held the the auger, which. I then put food curling in and then just watched how long it took to diffuse throughout and stuff like that. I also learned how to use a 3D printer because um, basically every day I, I work with a PhD student and. Adil? Yeah, Adil. Shout out Adil. Um, <laughs> Adil is my guy. He's getting married. Uh, congratulations on your marriage. Oh, um, goodness. Yes. I did not know. I know right? Yeah. Um, yeah. How come you don't know Adil? <laughs> why, why, why would anybody else do? Yeah, but Adil was a realist. Because um, I, I was honestly apprehensive of like working in a research lab because it's like you're working with somebody who this is their project. Like they know everything about it. Like why their are they? Gonna, lives. Yeah, why are they gonna take the time to like explain it to me when I'm I I just felt so wet behind the ears. But he was really nice. <laughs> he was really nice, and like I I learned like an insane amount of of knowledge from him. So I really appreciate that. But basically, I'll be like, all right, so deal. Like, what are we working on today? And then he would be like, okay, well, I have to do this, 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 and that. And I'd be like, all right, um, well, I can help you with this. And like, I just, I would just design an experiment to test something he may need, mm -hmm. and then carry it out, and then like uh, disseminate the results uh, using image analysis. I learned how to use ImageJ. Um, I wrote like calculators on Excel. Um, just to do like repeated processes because I was in charge of the cell culture the whole time. I worked with astrocytes, adipose derived stem cells, um, fibroblasts. Yeah, I learned how to. Uh, well, I didn't learn. I already knew how to because of our our great BME program. Um, scale up, <laughs> scale up, and scale down in a in a flask, and then freeze, and then um, unfreeze, and stuff like that. And so I, I also I also just did a proof of concept that um, that cells. Um, respond to collagen and where it's at and like would migrate in the direction of collagen so I would just put some collagen on like a dish and then um, put some cells on it and then obviously you have a control with no collagen just to see if the cells preferentially um, lay out if there's no collagen which they don't and then when there is collagen they do and then I would just do like a live dead stain and 
or um oh and then I forgot the oh and a, a hux stain. Um and then just image it. And yeah, I did I did so many things. I made a we I learned how to do the photolithography process, um, which is just for like for micro patterning where you use Oh, we uh, talked about that in my bio. Yeah, yeah, where you, you have a mask and then you <laughs> you shine uh UV through it and then um you like develop it and stuff like this. It's something that we actually stole from microelectronic engineering. That's something that they usually do in the clean room. Um, but we didn't, it's like we weren't making like electronic devices, so we didn't like need to be pre protected from dust or anything. We just needed, needed the small patterning. Um, and then, yeah, um, I did a bunch of other stuff, but. I think a big takeaway that I personally, I mean, you guys can disagree if you feel different, but a takeaway that I got from co-op in general was the fact that like, before co-op, I would go through all my classes and I would feel like these classes are either boring or not relevant or I have to go through it because I have to get good grades and I have to, you know, eventually graduate. But like after going through co-op, you get you get into the mentality that every single class matters. And regardless of whether you don't see a purpose right now, it like expands your imagination, if you will, or mentality in a way that like you're able to understand concepts and like once you learn them even though you're not an expert at them you can hit the ground running if you are going to get specialized in like something that relates to a concept that you learned in class so i guess my advice to all of you listeners today is <laughs> don't think that any class is irrelevant just think of it as a you know one more concept or 20 more concepts that, that you'll add into your little library in your brain where um, every single time that you know the chance comes you get to pull it out and um, connect the dots and I think it makes you much well-rounded and creative um, and I think it allows you to um, definitely make your work fun um, better and you know improve whatever environment that you're working with so that's yeah. my three cents I to agree. the I definitely came back the appreciating the classes that we are taking right. and also mildly regretting not doing more in some of the classes yeah. we've previously Facts. taken. So um, definitely stay on top of it. Just power through, even if it's rough. Um, yeah. yeah. And also this co-op helped me figure out what I want to do more, narrow it down, mm -hmm. narrow the options down. Just because our major is so broad, you could literally go into electronics Anything. if you wanted yeah. to. Mm -hmm. You could also go into like pharmaceutical. One. It's like it's a broad spectrum. So, but for me, it helped me figure out that I really want to get into material science and also like the and use the cell biology techniques that we learned and for the past two years and use use those cell techniques to complement the material science. I know mm -hmm. that to test biocompatibility mm -hmm. or not. But yeah, overall, like um, I know what I want to do more than I did before. And on the other hand, if you go through an experience where you feel like it was a complete waste of your time, like it's an equally as valuable wow. experience <laughs> To, to just be being able to recognize that you did something, you put effort into it, but it's something that you don't really want to do. I think part of the whole experience is realizing what you like or you don't like. And, you know, not liking yeah. something is not, you know, a, it's not a waste of time. It's rather just, you know, you had that opportunity way, to yeah. knock that one option down that you thought was, yeah. you know, interesting. And you can still so, learn a lot of valuable skills um, um, from being out there, like, at the company yeah, or, yeah. or the research lab mm -hmm. that are definitely going to be more applicable to whatever you would like to do, so. And the connections. Never a wasted opportunity. Connections as well. Sure. 
That's important. So you have your LinkedIn up to date. Yeah. yeah. Help your pe- your peers and everything. And we could and just have a whole other episode, like just make it like, all right, skip skip co-op prep and just listen to this. Just podcast. Kind of, yeah, yeah. We don't have for people. We might end up with like a yeah. a podcast for the BME department in general. Just like, <laughs> just like this is it. This is us. How to deal with fluids. <laughs> How to get new signals. I think that'd be interesting. That'd anyway, be this is for another podcast. Everyone. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, I think we're, we're our Gucci yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, okay. I'd like to thank Charles and Raquel for allowing me on to this podcast. <laughs> thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry. There was no tea today. Like, like no, no hot tea, leaf water. But we all are drinking water. So we're hydrated. Yeah, Hydration. we're doing good. I'm already part of the immunity, so I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna thank you all. Like, <laughs> okay, you're just like in now. Alright, we'll make sure we give you one of our hats. Alright. Um so I think that's a wrap. Best space Best signing babes. off. Signing off. Signing off. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.